in the region. 3D printing is good for all ages and all experiences. This is Colin from Cannot Justify. You're rocking Attitude Era Live with Icon, Granny Hawkster, and Big Swing. On the web at Fargo3dprinting.com. You're listening to 89.1, Ken's FM, KNMP, Holly Fargo-Moorhead, Independent Public Radio, <coughs> Fargo-Moorhead, and the Valley. Also on the web at www.kensfm.com. Gentlemen, if you are listening to that sound, you know exactly what time it is. That's right, it's Attitude Era Monday Live, Monday time on 89.1 FM, and we are here rocking your world every Monday night from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Central Standard Time, and we have our co-host, Granny Hawkshard, right there with us. Are you there? Yes, I am. All right, and uh, just joining us right now, we have Matthias Pop in the studio. How are you, sir? Well, after a long work week and a decent week in a wrestling and a very long weekend, followed up by another long work day, I'm ready to do another show on 89.1 Kens FM. All right. Well, we got a big show tonight, as always. We'll catch everybody up to what everybody's been doing here in a second. But let's uh, talk about our guests here first. Our first guest on the shoot in about 10, 15 minutes will be Samuel Schumacher. Uh, he is the security agent to the stars. We'll talk to him about that. Uh, we have Tony Snow. Uh, he is in the wrestling business and entertainment business. We're going to talk to him. And also, does anybody know who uh, of you guys you know uh, who Mike Tyson is at all? Have you guys ever heard of him? Well, of course. Oh yeah. Like, well, we got his mother-in-law on with us tonight. Oh, oh wow. my. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Rita Ali. Do you recognize the last name Ali? Well, of course. Uh, right. Yep. Yep. Uh, so I wonder if we're going to be talking a little boxing tonight. What do you think? Maybe. All right, and uh, I, I don't know, Matthias, I don't know why we can uh, hardly hear you. Are you, just, you are speaking to the mic, aren't you? Yep, uh, right here. There we go, I'll turn you up. Okay. Awesome. So, anyway, let's catch everybody up here real quick. Gray, what's been happening with you? Oh, nothing much exciting. I just, you know, um, same old, same old, just a different day. Um you know, just dealing with some stuff that I got to take care of. That, you know, you know, I kind of, I, I got to vent a little bit. You know, I hate when a business loses a very important loan payment check that was to pay off a certain loan at their bank, and they lost the check. Because, number one, they gave the wrong address to the claims insurance agent, and now they can't find the check. They lost it. And they had it, they've had it since April 6th, and now they can't find it. So now they're basically demanding me 
to contact my insurance company, the claims people, to have them issue another check, which was like almost $7,800. Whoa. Yeah, because wow. my car got, you know, my car got totaled in March, you know. And mm -hmm. I was using my car to, you know, as collateral on a bank loan. So the lost settlement was like $10,459.71. Well, they sent me my part of the check, and they sent the check to the bank with the address that the bank provided. And now the bank can't find the check because the check was sent to the mortgage company by mistake. But yet, this so-called bank didn't have enough nerve to even just locally take the check up to the local branch and gives it to them, you know, and now they're demanding another check. Plus, they have to owe me money because I made one more payment on that loan, so the payoff amount was less than what the check was actually for. So the bank owes wow. me money now. <laughs> But other than well, that, I'm I, great. You know, other than that, I'm fine. You know, it's just, you know, people are so stupid. They don't know how to I do their an, job. Granny, I have an idea. Here's what you're going to do. If they don't give you your check, just let them know that you're going to have Matthias and Icon come down and have a word with them. <laughs> and, uh, well, I'm not sure that would work. But, you know, I'm, you know hopefully it will be taken care of, like, tomorrow well, or the next day. I guarantee it should work. Why do you think we don't have very many return guests? Because I call them at two in the morning. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Matthias, what's uh, what's keeping track with you? What's uh, what's you? Have you got any titles or uh, any injuries or anything like that? You can tell us about. Well, I was able to stay concussion free this upcoming weekend, but uh, my head was about as tall as the ceiling at the last event I was at. Uh, I basically went to Holman, Wisconsin. Uh, Friday night, I stayed in St. Cloud, Minnesota overnight to go see my buddy perform at a bar. Then Saturday morning, I drove to Holman, Wisconsin, where I was supposed to tag team with Bullet Bronson to go against the uh, Phoenix Pro Wrestling Tag Team Champions, known as Pain and Pleasure. Well, he didn't show up, and the Summit was supposed to take on another tag team, and his their partner didn't show up, so... The Summit ended up getting to take my tag team titles from me, and they also got to wrestle the tag team champions. So that's a little something that's another story for another time. But then I got put in a triple threat match with the Doc, or the DOC as he calls himself, and superstar Steve Stardom. And uh, unfortunately, I did not come out victorious in that one. And then I drove several. I took a six-hour drive that was supposed to be about six hours. It ended up taking me about eight and a half hours to get home back to Fargo because of the snow that hit the Minneapolis area. Luckily, I was able to push through all that. And then Sunday, I went and saw the Super Mario Bros. movie. And then after Great that... movie, by the way. I was so tired from this weekend. I was in and out the entire time, but it wasn't terrible from what I saw. And then after that, went home and had another long work day, and now I'm here, so... You know, I, I hate to be a Debbie Downer here, but uh, you've been on a little bit of a losing streak lately, Matthias. What, what, what is the deal, man? Well, unfortunately, well, I mean, I've been on the winning streak for APW. I've been undefeated, and uh, I am still undefeated at all pro wrestling. Uh, but when people mess with me and they ruin my matches, you know, it puts off my mojo, and, of course, that leads people to take 
unfair advantages of my psyche and uh, caused me to get pinned, which has been kind of unfortunate. But uh, as of this upcoming weekend, I'll be in a fatal four-way match for No Regrets Wrestling, which I do plan to win because it is a number one contendership to the world title, which, of course, I'm going to be victorious in. And then I take a week off, and the next week I take on Jake Taylor, which will then put me in the running for the BGW world title, and then I'm going to be taking on NDS on the 21st for the world tag team titles. So I will be uh, covered in gold uh, very, very soon. Well, let's hope you are victorious in that. We just we just got a couple more minutes here before our first guest is ready to go. We will take a quick little commercial break, and then we will come back and talk to our first guest. So if everybody wants to stick with us through this commercial break, please do. We'll be back after we hear one of these messages from our great sponsors. Stay tuned. So you're outside looking at that ticking time bomb of snow on your roof. A phone call to Elevated Concrete and Snow Removal will solve that problem. They can be reached at 701-866-9018 or at Elevated Concrete and Snow Removal on Facebook. Their concrete work includes driveways, sidewalks, walkways, approaches, garage floors, patios, and shed pads. Plus, they offer decorative or stamped concrete as well. And all estimates are free. Once winter is over, they are ready for any concrete project you have. Elevated Concrete and Snow Removal at 701-866-9018. And as everybody knows that uh, the snow is pretty much gone here in Fargo, so... uh, But, hey, the summer's coming, so if you need concrete work done, elevated snow removal is the company to contact. And also, you know, here in Fargo, North Dakota, it's never too early to talk about next winter. It could be here in September. We never know. We hope not. But get your your calls in them now to get signed up for next winter as well. But right now, stepping out of the green room and walking down the aisle, our first guest of the night, he is the security guard to the stars. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the man himself. He is Samuel Schumacher. Hey, this is Samuel Schumacher. You're listening to the Attitude Era Monday live on 89.1 Kins FM with your hosts, the Icon, the Big Swing, the Godmother of Wrestling, Granny Huckster, and the Modern Might Man, Matthias. How are you, sir? Thank you for joining us. Appreciate you being here with us. I appreciate the chance to be on. All right, and as we all know, and you know about the PJ language thing, so that's perfect. So here's what we're going to do, Samuel. I'm going to ask you a few questions, and then we'll do a roundtable, and we'll come back to me and I'll ask you the tougher questions. But before we do that, give us a little background about yourself, and then we'll uh, have some fun with the uh, interview. Well, um, first and foremost, I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, Uh, 45, married, four children, um, I do security work for not only celebrities, wrestlers, and some uh, movie stars and musicians. I do them for conventions and expos and things like that. And I also do some minor acting. I've been in a couple things, and I have one coming up here that I'm getting ready to film very soon. And you've been doing this for a long time, haven't you? Oh, it's, 
I started a, a little bit last year on actually on both of them. They happened around the same time. And being a uh, working with wrestlers and celebrities, I'm guessing that you get to rub elbows with a lot of famous people. Yeah, I've met a I've met a my fair share of celebrities and famous people and sat and had a drink with them or chatted with them, yeah, many times. Now, I'm sure that since you've been doing this a long time, you're definitely not like someone like me that, uh, you know, you meet somebody, you find out who you're going to be security guard for, and then you start drooling all over yourself. It's like, oh, I'm going to be security for The Rock, or I'm going to be security for this band, or I got, I got this celebrity. You have to kind of keep that in check. With doing what you do, correct? Yes, I, it, it. Some of the people I've met, yeah, there's a few of them that I had to reel myself in a little bit, and there was one that you know I knew of her, but I had I wasn't like really defined into her, so it was it was a great chance to work with her and get to know her. But in the process of being very professional from start to finish with her. She had two special guests that made an unknown appearance to everybody that when I came back into the green room and I seen them, I I became a fanboy. I was like lost my whole professionalism with them, and they were very cool and understanding about that. You know, what's cool about that, and I've always wanted to know this, of course, I wouldn't be able to stop myself either. You can just ask Granny and uh, Matthias when they come on, but – you know, I like to rub elbows with famous people, obviously. With that being yeah. said, do you uh, do you ever ask for autographs? Are you allowed to ask for autographs? Are you able to do anything like that? At most of the venues, hanging out with them for either arrival to departure or halfway from midday to the end of the show, Either way, I, I communicate with one or two or the tour manager or, or the agent or manager who's in charge of them. Some point throughout the day, I've had a 20, 30-minute conversation with them, and I've never been denied when I've asked if I can get a picture with somebody in the band, the whole band, uh, take pictures from afar, you know, whatever the ordeal may be, and I've never been told no. As for autographs, it's sometimes you can just be blunt and ask. Other times there's rules to the, the places that you work for or who you work for themselves. Like the tour manager would be like, hey, they're cool. If, if you catch them just hanging out, you can ask for pictures. Stuff. Just don't ask for no signatures. You know, they got to keep their fingers limber, limber for the drums or guitar and all this other stuff. Some just like, you know, uh, Hey, cool. So if you want to get a picture, get your laminate signed, get your pass signed, or you know whatever the case may be, just ask. They they, they ain't shy about it. So it, it it comes and goes with the territory. You know, I, I I'm guessing that, and I'm only I'm gonna ask a few more questions. And we'll uh, we'll do the roundtable, but I'm guessing you must have a pretty impressive man cave with several pictures on your wall, and you must have like. A thousand pictures on your phone, uh, a million pictures in albums. I would guess. Yeah, I got I got a lot of pictures. Yeah, and a lot of different like stuff that you just can't like nobody can buy the stuff. Like 
the stage setup diaphragm that we have to print out at certain venues. You know, we have to know how to set the stage and where the speakers need to be adjusted and moved and then how the band's going to set their instruments and stuff up. That's a printout that you can't buy. No no person that can pay the highest price ticket's going to get something like that. And I've got broken drumsticks from band members that don't that throw them in the trash can at the end of the night. And guitar picks, guitar strings. I, I've got my fair share of things that I can treasure and know that nobody else has that thing with that name and date on it. That's pretty cool. And I, I, I can just imagine, like, yeah, like a picture of, uh, just hypothetically, just you have a picture of, like, you and Tommy Lee, and you have his guitar string in the in the picture frame with you. That's really cool. Or his drumstick, whatever it may be. But here's, uh, I'm going to introduce you to my first co-host. Her name is Granny Hawkster. Now, this is one gal that definitely needs security sometimes Hello. when she's at events because uh, she can swing a pretty mean cane if you're if you're mean to people. So, Granny, what do you got for our guest? Uh, Stephen Schmucker, we have 28 minutes. Go ahead. Well, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure and honor to have you on with us tonight. Yeah, uh, Granny has actually had a few opportunities to rub elbows with some pretty famous people as well. Um, I've actually got a picture of me and my husband with Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson in the Rock and Roll Express, and I'm actually getting to wear Robert's WWE Hall of Fame ring on my finger, which I thought was pretty cool. I didn't even ask him if I could wear it. He just put it on my finger for the picture, so I thought that was pretty cool. And I've had dinner with people like Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Tommy Dreamer, so that you know that's been pretty awesome. I've met a lot of famous wrestlers over the years because I am being a huge wrestling fan that I am. I love my wrestling. So who are some of the wrestlers that you've actually got to meet throughout your career? <laughs> Just recently, here in Indianapolis, we had a an expo that's in its third year now called Squared Circle Expo, and I've heard of I that. To, yeah, it's a it's for for an upstarter, it's a very nice expo. It's very hands on, very convenient to get to, and it's very nice. Anybody that likes wrestling should check it out. Um. At that show, I got to take my son, and he got to meet Mick Foley and talk to him. Oh, wow. He got a picture. That's uh, awesome. Uh, see, Jimmy the Mouth, the South, the Heart. I've met Jimmy um, Hart several. I've met Jimmy Hart several times. Yeah, he he was very nice. He was very talkative and answered any questions. Was super cool. Uh, Lita was there. Yeah, I've met Lita. Uh, Dean Ambrose and Renee. I've not met. I've not had the opportunity to meet them. I've always wanted to, because my family and I went with our friend to WrestleMania last year in Dallas, and we went to WrestleCon. So I got to see a lot of professional wrestlers that I had never gotten to meet before. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, at, at this one, they, I was doing. Uh, it really was. It wasn't security, but you, you could say it was. We were volunteers because we got perks of the job to see the wrestling show for free and mingle and escort and walk the different uh, wrestlers to and from photo ops and to their rooms and 
go get something to drink for them, whatever the case may be. We we got to intermingle with almost every star there, and it was it was a a phenomenal night. I'm, my son had fun. He got to meet a lot of them. Then I had to go to work for the next two days, and I got to get more involved as in working that I got to see and get a picture with Sergeant Slaughter, uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Kevin Nash. Uh, got to uh, see uh, Matt Cardona, who used to go by the name uh, – uh, what was that his name? He did the woo woo Zach woo Ryder. on WWE. He used to, yes. he used to go by Zack Ryder. Yes, he. I got to see him and and Fleece, uh, Heath Slater, and there was a. I mean, a multitude, and it was, it was, it was nice to be able to sit and talk with them and get their thoughts and pick their brains. That's awesome, Steve Schmuckers. I guess we're on eighty nine point one Kens FM, and. Uh, we're just rocking here right now. We got about 24 minutes. Now, one thing I, the next guy I'd like to introduce you to, uh, his name is Matthias, and uh, he seems to have trouble with uh, certain celebrities. Like uh, he can tell you about his experience with Eric Bischoff and uh, a few others. So, uh, Matthias, what do you got for our guest? Go ahead. The following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. Well, yes, you are talking to the man from every woman's greatest dream and every man's worst nightmare, North Dakota's number one heel, current reigning undisputed APW World Heavyweight Champion and soon-to-be BZW World Tag Team Champion and EWI Epic Champion, Matthias. Welcome on to my part of the program. Yes, as uh, Icon pointed out, I've had some uh, very rough experiences, rough go at it with uh, Eric Bischoff and other wrestling uh, celebrities and other wrestling uh, talent as such as that. Um, but I'm not really going to focus on the whole wrestling perspective right now because, as uh, I can point out, you are a security guard. Now, I am a security guard for a, uh, for a, a bar slash nightclub here in uh, North Dakota. And uh, I've had some pretty strange experiences. Of course, you get into uh, – you know, you get into big brawls, you get into fights a lot, you're hit a lot, and uh, I've had a couple of uh, weapons drawn out at me. I've been cut, I've been punched, I've been kicked, I've been a lot of things. Um, what are some of the, uh, I would say, oddest or most dangerous uh, experiences you've ever had to endure as a security guard? Not, not too many in anything I've worked at, but I've... Uh... We I, I worked at the Vogue here in Indianapolis. It's a music venue slash just a venue, I guess. You can rent it out and do pretty much anything inside. So just take a imagine a 1934s theater, empty of all the seats, standing room only type venue. And we had this uh, heavy metal band there. I believe they were they were called Cold, and they were pretty heavy and they were pretty decent. I, I enjoyed the night that I worked. But the crowd was your typical heavy metal acid heads that will rock the barricades till they break and fall over and try to rush the stage. But we had 20-some security that night and we had like four posted in front of the stage. It only holds 1,200. 
I was I was always at the back door watching the talents bus gear. I would ha- I, I'd usually get there in the morning before they arrived, get them parked, get them all loaded in and out and everything and set up. So I was the go-to guy between the stage and the talent. And um, these guys broke the barricades, so we were trying to rush them to get them to push back. They were so heavy on the, the mosh pitting in there. We were all scared to get in it, but we got in it and got it broke up and got pushed around and shoved. And I, I'd been allowed to the life in Kentucky many times, so I was used to moss pitch, but that one pretty much was like drag out, punch, and fight type kill each other, and that scared me a little bit, but it got under control, so next time I was ready when it happened. Yeah, we I never really had to deal with much of a uh, mosh pit kind of crowd. Of course, you know, the front of the stage always gets to be a problem sometimes, but yeah, there was a time where a guy pulled a uh, big Bowie knife out on me when uh, I was trying to remove him from the building, and that app that went a little south, a little south as fast. I mean, it, it went pretty south as fast as it could. And then uh, there was an argument outside of the bar, and I had to walk up to the car and try to calm him down. Well, then one of them pulled out a a nine millimeter and was threatening everybody, and I finally got him to calm down. So it's it's always uh, it's all like you never know what you're gonna get, especially when there's people you don't know and there's alcohol involved and and possibly other things you just you just have no idea so but yeah i just wanted to ask you about that because like i said i've had some weird experiences myself so i just i was always curious when somebody says that they've been a security guard somewhere they've had to do something for a celebrity or a concert or whatever and uh so i always got to ask that question but yeah that was uh I was going to think of something else here, but uh, Icon, I'll let you take over while I try to think of it. Well, I know one thing, Matthias, when someone comes up to intimidate you, you always say, don't you know who I am? Well, no, well, that, well here's the thing, as as you're just about to mention that, I've had people, like, people who come up at the bar and, you know, they're intoxicated, and they'll come up to my security, the other guards that are shorter than me or less muscular or less built, and they go, you know, I could kick your butt any time, but I wouldn't, and then they, like, grab my or touch my shoulder like I would never mess with this guy or like people are sober and they're telling me they would never try to fight me but then of course if they get alcohol on them and they get a little rough you know you know you gotta you gotta do something with them and you gotta take care of them but nowadays the the rules in regards to uh fighting or hitting or assault or whatever the case may be it's a it's a very cut a very cut and dry thin line that you have to really walk upon so you don't get yourself in trouble uh, I can, if I can cut in, I agree on that because I worked this uh, EDM nightclub and we took a de-escalation class from the local police department. And, you know, before that, when I worked at another, at the uh, Vogue, if you got punched, you were able to put them in a submission hold and take them out the door and give them to the police officer who who was usually outside. And, you know, that he's that's uh that is a touchy subject you got to be able to reserve yourself and there's times you're allowed to especially when it's your life's in danger then you can you know do what you got to be but you know it is dangerous sometimes when you get involved in that absolutely well i guess now i'll, I'll tell this quick story so 
Uh, back when I first started at the uh, the windbreak, is the bar is what it's called. I'm not sure if I had uh, mentioned that, but uh, I was working one night and we were closed down. We were cleaning up and everything, and these two guys were at the front door. Well, I didn't know what they were doing. I mean, I kind of heard a, a small bang, so I walked into the door. And I'm like, you know, what the heck's going on? And so I looked out again, and all of a sudden they kicked the door. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to go and make sure they don't do that again. Well. I was going to go grab my one of my other guards just to make sure, and all of a sudden they kicked it one more time, and it shattered the glass. So then, you know, we give chase to the two guys because, you know, we're not going to take that. We're going to go, you know, grab them and make sure uh, things get uh, situated. Well, uh, one of them I chased fly, five blocks down the road, and another one fell right outside of the bar, and, you know, they grabbed him. Well, I grabbed my guy, and we brought him back to the bar. Well, the cops came and chased us down and grabbed the first, the one guy that I chased, and then the other cop pulled up and grabbed the second guy. Well, they start talking to him and and all that stuff. They're claiming we stole their credit card and whatnot, and and we're just annoyed with the whole thing because now we're sitting here having to clean up our glass, and they the cops just shake their hand and say see ya, and of course you know we're we're bothered, we're upset, we're really angry as a matter of fact that we're sitting here cleaning up our building from when they vandalized it and they tried to break in well they get always scot-free so then they go to the hotel right behind our bar and they start insulting us saying stuff about our moms and stuff like that so me one of my coworkers and i were like yeah let's go let's go say hi to them you know let's go let's go get them out of here whatever so they run inside to the hotel they call the cops on us claiming we were going to go there and assault them and we almost got arrested and then later on, a couple weeks later, a couple weeks later, I was informed that the police department was going to file char- filed assault charges on us, or the state cho- the state put assault charges on us because the guy that uh, originally fell outside of the bar he fell, and one of my guards said, "Yeah, I put him in a hold, uh, similar to a chokehold, to you know." keep them still so you guys can get him, but I didn't, like, squeeze on him or nothing. They wanted to say that we were trying to just assault them and choke them out, and it was just, it was a whole fiasco. So now, like, you really got to watch what you do. Like, we can't even, we can't even put our hands on them unless they do that to us, and even then our boss still kind of could get on us if uh, if we do that because then it, the police get involved and it's just a whole fiasco that's unneeded. We have uh, Steve, uh, Steve Schmucker is our guest here on 89.1 Kens FM, and we have 15 minutes here with our buddy here. Now, with all this uh, this talk about, you know, security and meeting all the celebrities and everything, is there one celebrity, and I'll understand if you can't answer this question, but is there one celebrity that you'd like really like to be a security guard for or a band that you really would like to work a event for? Yes, very much so. I've always I skillet. They're out of Wisconsin. They're one of outside of Pink Floyd, which probably will will never happen since they're not together. Skillet is the number one band. They their music literally saved my life. Like literally, I was at that moment, and I heard them for the very first time. Uh, the song Awake and Alive and it made me stop and just take reality in and from that day forward I've never thought about 
now living, and there's a reason why. And since I got into this industry and started working this, I have worked my way to some major names in the industry that I've rubbed shoulders with and got managers and record producer names that I can make contacts with working my way to try to get a job with Skillet. You know, and with that being said, now I can understand if you don't want to answer this next question, but is there anybody that you've done security for or been a bodyguard for that you're just like, oh, man, I I just don't ever want to be security for this guy again or person again or band again? Mm. At the Vogue, I, I had I had worked it, so I had it was my job not for the band but for the venue that I, I can say only only one and that was Cannabis Corpse. They were just too heavy for me, and I stayed outside most of the day, sound check even during the show. They were just they were just too hard and. I mean, I'm getting paid to be there, so I'd be there, but I just wouldn't enjoy it as much as I do most of the things I go and work for. You know, and with also with that being said, I would guess, though, and I know this is probably an obvious question, but what would be more in, entertaining, a, a smaller venue where fans are closer to the, the action or a bigger venue where there's more people that you have to control. The smaller venues, like one of the bands that brought me into the fold whenever I'm available to come to their shows, (laughs) excuse me, (laughs) is uh, Red Burn. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, That's right. One of the one of the bands is called Redburn. They're out of out of Michigan, and you know they brought me into their fold and made me one of them. And whenever I can do a show or wherever they're at that I want to come to, I'm 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 hired and I'm I'm part of the crew for the day, and I get to hang out with these guys and have a few drinks and help set up and help tear down and be with them from start to finish if I want to. And it's people like that, that in the smaller venues, you're more adapt with because in a bigger venue, you got more security. So, you know, you're going to be with the band all day anyways, but you're always going to be bombarded by other people trying to maneuver and stuff because, you know, you've got, it's bigger and there's more stuff to do than just set up their gear and plug in. So I prefer the smaller venues and, but the bigger venues, you, you know, sometimes they're opening or they're the main act and there's other people you like that's opening. So either, or I like both, but I prefer a smaller one. Is there, is one of your goals to become a permanent head of security for a actor or actress or band instead of just like one venue so you can like travel with a, a celebrity or a band or 
or so, so, such as that, is that one of your goals or no? It's on my bucket list. Uh, I'll say that because I do have a family, and, you know, I grew up in a household where my dad was a truck driver, and we never wanted for nothing, and he was always on the road, but he was also home sometimes. So, you know, I grew up knowing what it was like not to see my dad in the, in the stands playing Little League or doing something major in high school, and he wasn't around because he was working. And I don't want that for my kids because, you know, my dad wasn't there all the time for me, but he was. But I want to be there for my kids so they can enjoy me. And when they get older, they have a better sense of how to be a, a better father than I am. So, you know, to do a few shows, be gone for a week or two, and then home for a month, you know, that's that's cool. I can do that, especially if they're like, clustered right around me where I can travel and just stay overnight and come back home and then two days later, three days later, drive to the next place and do the show and come back home. Yeah, that that's one of my goals. But full-time, doing a country tour or, or a world tour, maybe a few dates at places where it's smaller and, and they're, they have security concerns, yeah. I would do that, but not full-time all year, no. Well, maybe even uh, something you could do, like, you know, when, you're, when your kids get a little er, uh, older, you know, that might be something that you could think about. Yeah. Right now I have a set, uh eight-year-old, so, you know, I'm trying to spend as much time with him as he's younger and teach him all this stuff that I'm 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 still learning, and he's teaching me. So, you know... I'm learning stuff from him, and he's learning music. He's learning movies, and he's going to these shows and getting to rub elbows sometimes with some of these celebrities and get perks and stuff that, you know, this was an 18-plus show, but I brought my son, and he was over here. He wasn't even inside, but he got to hang out with them when they came out. Nobody else did. And he, and he gets to know them, and then he goes and watches a movie, or he goes and watches a a music video, and and now he's more into it. So it's beneficial for me. And when he gets older, I can move on, and he's gonna know. Oh, daddy's at a show. I'm gonna be all right. He'll see this. Mom will record it for me, and so on. So you know, I know later it'll be all right to do so. Well, you know what else might be cool in the future? You and your father. Uh, you and your your new father. I'm sorry. You and your son. Because like a father-son security agency. True, yeah. My 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 roommate, he goes to most of the shows if I have a good advance notice of it, and he goes and helps me right now. So when, when my son's older and of age, yeah, if I'm still doing this and things, and yeah, he'll, he'll definitely probably come because he enjoys it. So, you know. Uh, Steve Schmucker's our guest here on 89.1 Kens FM. we got six minutes, so we don't forget about this. If our fans want to check you out and see you and kind of follow you and see all the cool celebrities that you're rubbing elbows with, you got a Facebook, an Instagram, a YouTube, a Twitter, a Twitch, a TikTok. Uh, what do you got? I've got everything. So all they have to do is go to Samuel Schmucker on Facebook. There's like three of them, but I should be the, the top one because I'm most active. Um, 
And when they click on my profile, I'll have a link tree right there that they can go and follow and get all my other links. And uh, also you have a brand new card made from the icon on your Facebook page as well that they can uh, find you easily. Very well so, yes. So now what uh, what is your schedule like uh, for the next uh, couple weeks or say, I, I'm pretty sure you, you probably maybe even have the next, uh, the rest of the year mapped out, but what uh, what's your schedule looking like in the next uh, several months? Uh, I've got PopCon, Louisville, and Indianapolis coming up where I'm doing driver for some celebrities, picking them up from the airport to the hotel to the show, hanging out with them while they're doing their thing in the convention, taking them back to the hotel. Um, I'm getting ready to do the Outlaw Nation, which is Jesse Howard, a new breed with Dirty, your boy Dirty, and uh, Hitman playing a, a show in Ohio coming up that I'm doing some security for. And then I got a movie I'm getting ready to shoot in Rochester, New York, coming up sometime in between now and sometime in August, we hope. That's awesome. Now, uh, now I know I know uh, I know you don't have any right now, but eventually, hopefully, you will. But for those of you who listen to our, fa- our show on a regular basis, if you go to our Facebook page, as the era Monday Live Monday, you like that. You go to eighty nine point one Kids FM page, like that. Do a ten dollar month donation, follow the tower. We'll get you automatically qualified to win a autographed picture from past guests, current guests, and future guests. And like I say, we, we talked about this a, a few times that uh, you don't have any as of yet. But as soon as you do, you'll be able to hook us up with that. Yes, very much so. I'm gonna. Uh, I did a movie once, and I won an award for it, so I can put this part of the costume back on and get a couple pictures made for that, and I can get one of me and my security outfit if they want one, and I can get some pictures made up and sent to you. Yes, that's awesome. So I tell you what, Steve, you are you are uh, you Samuel. are a joy. One minute here left with you. But uh, what advice would you want to give? To, could you give to somebody if they wanted to get involved in this line of work? What would you tell them? What advice would you give them? First, uh, it's not Steve; it's Samuel. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, Samuel. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. It, that's okay. Um, well, it's not for the faint of heart, because as um, our friend earlier spoke about, you know, there can be some dangerous situations. So if you scare easily and have a fear of any type of weapon or hand-to-hand combat or being aggressive to somebody and getting just like in their face, no holds barred, talking trash, then this is not a line of work for you. But if you're that type of person that can handle that situation and talk that trash right back and not be scared and be more intimidating and aggressive with it to let them know they they don't have no rights here, they got to listen to you because this is your job and this is what they're paying you for. To keep people like you away from them, you got to be deep with it. So if you got that, my best suggestion is, Go find a music venue 
apply to Live Nation or your local uh, indies music venue where they play local mu- local bands and sometimes host some big name acts. Get a job there working security, and because a lot of these places don't require you to have no knowledge. But they teach you on-the-job skills. Some will classify you to take classes and educate yourself to be better, like de-escalation, how to avoid conflicts, and other little avenues. So go to a local venue and find find some security work, and you'll 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 quickly find out that you can make contacts and and eventually be on your own and do your own thing. That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, Samuel, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Thank you, Samuel. And you are awesome, and we would definitely love to have you back on again. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And the next time you're on, we'll talk about that uh, movie that you and I are both involved in. I know we didn't get to it now, but we'll uh, when we have uh, Anthony on with us, we'll have you call back in, and we're going to talk about that uh, movie that we're going to be involved in. Sound good? Sounds good to me. I appreciate that, too. All right. Thank you, Sam. You have a good night, buddy. Thank you. You, too. Take care, guys. All right. That was uh, that was Samuel the Man Schmucker, ladies and gentlemen. Great, great interview. Uh, looks like our next guest is Waving Wings, but we need to take a quick little commercial break first off. And after we hear these messages from our next sponsor, we'll be back. So stick with us. The new Wood Spring Suites of Fargo, located at 1090 35th Street North at the I-29 and 12th Avenue North Interchange, is an extended-stay, pet-friendly hotel with kitchenettes in every room, including a stovetop, full-size fridge, and microwave, plus a big 40-inch flat-screen TV with free Wi-Fi. You can book a room at 701-582-1600 or online at www.woodspring.com. Wood Spring Suites of Fargo, rated 4.2 by Trust Score. And Wood Spring Suites of Fargo is a great location to stay. I used to work there. I have kind of graduated in my career. I'm no longer there. But if you want a great hometown feel, a great place to stay, Wood Spring Suites of Fargo is the place to stay. But, ladies and gentlemen, stepping out of the green room right now, in North Dakota here, especially in Fargo, we are familiar with a snowstorm, and we have one live on the air right with us right now. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the man himself. He is Tony Snow. Good evening, everybody. How's it going tonight? How's everyone doing? Good, good sir. How are you? Good, good. I hope you're all well, Matthias. It's nice to meet you, good sir. I uh, appreciate and respect what you're doing. Granny Sweathog, I hope you had the worst day ever. Uh, seriously, like I can't believe you actually have the nerve to be on an interview with me. But uh, yeah, you guys have me here. You're welcome. So what are we talking about? Well, hey, the pleasure uh, is all yours. Trust me. Uh, anyway, uh, this this yeah, is gonna, the, this pleasure is your, the pleasure is yours, Tony. You know, this, so. this this might this might get on hand quick. Just make sure we keep everything PG. That's all I'm going to say. So anyway, so Tony, here's what we're going to do here. Uh, apparently, besides being a, a real nice guy, uh, give us a little background about yourself, and then we'll have some fun with the interview. Go ahead. 
Dude, I am I am an incredibly nice guy, but I return energy to people. You know, I work at a company in Oklahoma right now, WFC Wrestling for a Cause, and that's why I have the misfortune of having to deal with the sweat hogs for any hokester on a monthly basis. Uh, you know, since the moment I stepped in that company, this woman's been nothing but rude to me. And so if you respect <laughs> me, I respect. Like I said, man, I, I've got a lot of respect for you, good sir. That's You're the reason I came on this show. Uh, but Granny Holster, man, like, uh, she can go say her Oh, my God. Who the hell cares? Anyway, I'll tell you what. We have, uh, we have... We have, we have we have Tony Snow as our guest here. Here's what we're going to do here, Tony. I'm going to ask you a few questions, and then uh, we'll do a roundtable, and we'll come back to me, and I'll ask you the tougher questions. Uh, I, I have a feeling this is going to be interesting already. But, hey, this is, this is going to be fun. We have Tony Snow as our guest here. We have 28 minutes, uh, and we might have to cut that a little shorter. But, anyway, it all depends. But, anyway, so, Tony, you, uh, you're, you're obviously into the wrestling scene, Correct. Yes, sir. I am a pro wrestling manager. I'm sorry. I was talking about Granny Holster instead of talking about myself. What am I doing? Um, I'm a pro wrestling manager. I'm trained by Kai Chikasaw Warrior, a legendary wrestler from Oklahoma, and WWE Hall of Famer. I'm trained by a Hall of Famer, which automatically makes me better than each one of you. So I do. I have the most dominant faction in pro sports right now. Snowman Enterprises. I represent the WFC heavyweight champion, Dirty Jake and the Luxembourg Beast. I represent a veteran tag team, Handsome Jack and, and Diamond Beak. And I've got one of the, the, the best flying young boys in the business and dashing the and that's just one company. I work down in Texoma Pro Wrestling as well. Um, and that's that's what uh, I have this event coming up Friday where I'm actually, uh, if you can believe this, um, I'm in a feud with a cartoon character. That's right. Mai Jin Boo from Dragon Ball Z, the sweat hog that voices him, uh, is doing a meet and greet and decided he wanted to get involved in the show. So I chose the champion and I told him to choose the champion to, to fight mine. And if he doesn't choose one, then, then I'm just going to stick Dane Griffin after him, and he's just going to beat him down in his meet-and-greet table in front of all of his stupid, ignorant fans, because anime fans are almost as toxic as wrestling fans. I don't know if you knew that. Well, we, we, do, have, we do have a lot of fun people that listen to our show, and they, they are very smart fans. They are interesting fans. We have, we, we, you know, we have a wide range of uh, listeners on the show here. Uh, so, Tony... I'm guessing that this question is pretty much self-explanatory, but if you were to categorize yourself as a manager, would you say you're more like a Paul Heyman, uh, a Bobby the Brain Heenan, or are you more like a Jim Cornette? You know, it's funny because I've actually been compared to all three combined together. Um, but recently I've been doing a media tour, in support of this show coming up, and I've been getting Playboy Gary Hart a lot, uh, who was a legendary manager of the Great Muda, among others, and WCCW and other Southwest Territories. But, uh, but yes, I had a show last week. Uh, it's two minutes at this point, and this uh, this fan had a sign. There were four different signs at this show that all had something cute to say about me, and I was able to snatch one of them from the crowd and rip it up in front of this little kid and throw it back at him. Um, 
and and these these people just uh, they they had the, the absolute total nerve to call me a bad guy when they're sitting there waving a sign that's that's taking shots at my character and my face. Who's the real bad guy here, guys? Come on. Well, with that being said, uh, Tony Snow's our guest here. I'm not even going to ask you if you're uh, heel or baby face and in between. We are well, yeah, this out, but don't, don't even waste your time with that icon. Trust me, don't even waste your time. With that. I don't, I don't, I don't know why people keep asking me about heels. I don't wear heels. I wear flat bottom male dress shoes. I don't know what term you guys are talking about. So, next question, please. <clears throat> well, uh, the, uh, last I looked, someone told me that you wear penny loafers, but Granny. Uh, be nice. I know he's not gonna. He's not gonna ship a case. Now, you no, know, Icon. I am going. Ahead. I am going to be nice. But for, for for your information, Icon, I do know this man personally because yes, I have seen him at WFC wrestling for a cause. Now, when he talks about me being rude, I am not rude to anybody. But he has to earn that respect from people. And he doesn't do that, not when he's at WFC. He does not earn anybody's respect, except maybe Dutch Hagen, who is currently the WFC heavyweight champion, only because, well, I'm not even going to go there. But, no, I do know him personally, Icon. I, I do oh, know Tony Snow personally. And so, 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 Nanny, how many times have you hit him with your cane? I have not hit him with my cane yet, and because I don't usually granny, take my cane with me to the show. But now, granny, now he comes granny, out with a cane. Fact. He comes out the, with the a fact. cane by the name of Edgar, and you know Edgar might. You know, I got to bring up something real quick, Icon. You know, May sixth, WFC is having one of their biggest shows ever. It's called Fandetta, and that's where the fans get to choose the matches, the type of matches that we have for the night. Now, he claims that Dexter Hardaway, who is going to be our my host best friend. for Vandetta, your friend. My best friend yeah. in the business, my best well, friend, you my know, big you know brother. What? I've, hey, I've known Dexter a long time, too, Tony Snow, and, you know, he may only make you think that he's your best friend, but he really, Dexter loves Granny because Dexter asked you me ever, personally, have you woken up in an alley in Tijuana, Mexico, drunk off cheap tequila with Dexter Hardaway? No, you no, haven't. Until you've no. done that, you're not as close to him as I am, ma'am. Well, what, 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 whatever. I've known Dexter a long time. Now, but with that being said, Dexter personally asked me a question if I would like to be part of the Fandetta Board of Directors, and I said absolutely yes. And I know Tony Snow didn't like that response, but, you know, I can't wait for Fandetta. I am very excited to see Fandetta. You know, you know what, Granny Hoekster, when you're someone of my stature in this business, when you control the most important title in the company, the WFC Heavyweight Championship, that commands respect. And and 99% of these sweat hogs respect me, but there's a few like yourself, this Michael Neal guy, a few other idiots out there who, who tend to show me utter and complete disrespect. But I'll tell you what, you, you think that you're going to have this little fan committee and you've got this little plan, you think that you've gotten to Dexter, well, you know what, I have a contingency plan in place. And let me say that it doesn't matter what committee there is or what, 
options there are, you know, for the match, there's three different options, and everyone wants it to be cheeseburger. It doesn't matter. That match is going to happen exactly like I want it to happen. Uh, I'm going to. I've talked to the championship committee, and let's just say, I'm. I'm pretty sure I'm going to have the outcome that I was wanting in both the match and in the fan voting leading up to the match. So yeah, bring it, Granny. You can be on the little committee. It's 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 a little. It's like a participation. It's going to be like a little. A little uh, Burger King crown you get to wear for the day. It's basically meaningless. So go ahead. Uh, Tony, uh, Tony Snow, I guess, on 89.1 Kansas You know, I, cost, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't really need to ask any questions because, like I said, since I know Tony Snow personally, I'm going to bypass any questions, and I'm going to leave those questions for Matthias. But, um, All right. But no, well, Tony, we, we we are we are glad to have you on our show tonight, sir. I mean, we are glad to have you on our show. You're and, welcome. You know, and I may not always I may not always like you, and I may not always agree with what you do, but I am being a professional co-host here and welcoming you to, you know, Attitude Era Live. So. Okay, before we uh, continue the interview here, we need to take a quick time out. We'll be right back. You're listening to 89.1 Ken's FM, KNNZ-FM, Holly, Fargo-Moorhead. Independent public radio for Fargo-Moorhead and the Valley. Also on the web at www.kensfm.com. And we are live here on 89.1 Ken's FM every Monday night, 8 p.m. to or 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Central Standard Time. Every Monday night, you can always catch us. Now, uh, uh, Mr. Snow, before I introduce you uh, to our uh, next guest, I he was kind of listening to what you were saying, and uh, I know that he would probably be great in your faction. He's going to tell you after these uh, after these words about his stature. So, uh, Matthias, the following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. Well, yes, you are talking to the man from every woman's greatest dream and every man's worst nightmare, North Dakota's number one heel, current reigning, defending, undisputed APW World Heavyweight Champion and soon-to-be EWI Epic and BZW World Tag Team Champion, Matthias here. Welcome on to my part of the program, and it is... Dare I say, a beautiful sight for sore eyes to have such an intelligent guest finally on our show. We've had directors, we've had writers, we've had actresses, we've had this and we've had that. And it's just been making me want to puke. So now I finally get to have a brilliant man such as yourself on the program tonight, and may I dare, dare I say it is a pleasure, and I know, and I feel so sorry for you, Mr. Snow, I feel so terrible for you, and the reason is because you have to deal with Granny every once in a while at one of your shows, she has to interject, she always has to be a part of it, where I've got to deal with her every single Monday night, and I mean, I, I just, I, I don't understand how you do it, let alone, I don't even know how I'm still here. But that's one of the main reasons I have respect for you, other than your in-ring career. Like, you're obviously a patient man. You've got endurance and stamina. You put up with her every week. Absolutely, absolutely, sir. And it's just, it's wonderful to have a man with such uh, intelligent stature in the pro, re- pro wrestling industry, such as yourself, and your your intellect and your dialect is just on point. And I am, I am so honored to have you on a, as a guest on my show tonight, and it's just it's wonderful. 
Um, but I guess I'll ask you, and I know this is probably an easy question to answer, was there any challenges starting up in your career you've ever had to overcome where it was trying to deal with the, the loserish, markish fans or, you know, all this kind of stuff? Like, well, what, what kind of problems have you had to endure uh, in, within your brilliant career? Well, you know, when it comes to the fans, one of the main issues that I deal with a lot is getting getting actually touched, um, borderline assaulted by some of these idiots. Uh, people are throwing bottles of water at me. That's the reason I started carrying Edgar to the ring, uh, because I had to defend myself against these fools, people coming across the rail at me, because you know why? Because when they try to talk mess to me, I talk mess right back. I don't back down from anybody. Before I, I started this wrestling endeavor, before I got trained by WWE Hall of Famer Teddy Long, I was a professional touring hip-hop DJ for 25 years. I worked in venues. I dodged bullets. I worked in venues where I was paid under the table. You know, there were guns everywhere in some of these places. Like, I, I don't back down from anyone. And a lot of these Sweat Hog fans, they're not used to people, you know, standing up to them. And it, it it just comes down to that. That's where a lot of it comes from, and they 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 can't keep their hands off of me. Um, other than that, you know, the actual you know worker side of the business when it comes to locker rooms and stuff, everyone's been great. I haven't had any issues because they recognize my brilliance, uh, and and they want to work with me. Uh, so yeah, the only issues that I've had so far in my career have all been issues with you know stupid idiot fans who think they're more important than they really are when it comes down to it you know you, you have these fans who are all mad that Cody Rhodes lost at Mania and they're all talking about boycotting WWE all these fans saying let's do the fire events or boycott WWE if every single one of those uh, those fans that threatened to quit watching quit watching it wouldn't even put a dent in WWE's viewership they're a global worldwide leader some of these fans take themselves way too seriously it's a show I'll do my job. My job is to get a reaction out of you. Your job is to be entertained and enjoy it. Remember, you paid your money to see me. So watch me. Call me whatever you want. Just don't touch me, man. Just don't touch me. I agree wholeheartedly with that, man. Like I, As I said, I am the current reigning, defending, undisputed APW World Heavyweight Champion. And the stuff that gets thrown at me, the words that get said, is just it's unintelligible because, I mean, they're from Wisconsin and they just have their mouths full of cheese cheering on the Green Bay Packers. But, I mean, they're over there marking over for Aaron Rodgers. They're over marking over for professional wrestling. The things they say, like, I have literally pushed kids over in their chair. Because they, I was in a no-holds-barred match once defending my beautiful championship, and a couple of people decided to jump out of their chairs and try to put their hands on me, their slimy, disgusting, cheese-filled hands all over me, and I decided to just take a nice wet wipe and wipe them down with it and throw them across the, throw them back in their chair, and a couple of them may have, you know, bumped their heads, you know, maybe got a little bit of a headache afterwards, but, I mean, it's what they deserve. You know, you try to interfere in my profession i'm gonna make you pay for it i remember one time and it was just it was awful there was this guy who was trying to bow up at me trying to be all tough and trash talking and stuff like that so what did i do i took a bottle of water and i grabbed he was wearing my opponent's shirt at the time and i decided to take out the water and i 
put it in my mouth, and I spat it right in his face and in front of my opponent. And it was it was perfectly legal because it was an old barred match. So I just I did what I needed to do. And it's just when these fans think that they're way more important and deserve to be put in important places, no, that's not the case. You spent your money to watch me do what I do best, and that is make you mad. And and I, I love I love being able to push them over the threshold because when they want to think they're tougher than they are and they want to interfere and they want to do something, I can put them in their place just as fast as they thought to do the deed. And like I said, having a brilliant, uh, brilliant mind in the wrestling business such as yourself on right now, it's, it's finally I get to have such an intelligent conversation because all the basic questions that go to these actors, actresses, directors, I don't care. The one thing I love is being able to talk to brilliant managers and brilliant minds in the professional wrestling industry. I have been, I have been compared myself to a modern-day MJF, Maxwell Jacob Friedman, the current reigning defending undisputed AEW World Heavyweight Champion, and that's just a pleasure because he knows everything to do with their industry. He is a brilliant heel. He is a brilliant bad guy. He knows how to get the reaction. He knows how to get the money, and he knows how to get himself to the top super easily. And may I just say, as I heard, you do have a faction down where you're from, and, uh, you know, it would be an honor, nay less a privilege, to come down to where you are and join your faction. Because when you have a six foot three, 260-pound monster brick house of a man named Matthias in your faction, you know, you could have men that are as smart or as technical or whatever. It's like a Kurt Angle or a Bret Hart. But once you get that man beast, you get that, that rough and tough, built-like-a-brick house monster in your group, there's no going back, and if you and you can run your mouth and you can get them mad, I'll do it in the ring. I think we have a the making of a brilliant friendship here, if I must say myself. Well, you know the door is always open, and it's it's crazy. I don't ever like being categorized as a bad guy because I'm not a bad guy. I'm a businessman who is in this world of pro wrestling for one thing, and that's to secure championships. That is my job is to obtain and secure championships, and I'm going to do it by whatever means I deem necessary. Now, if for some reason you don't like those means that I use, then I, I apologize. I'm I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry, though. You know, you dig what I'm saying? Like, if, if you're going to hate me, that's on you. Everything that I do is reactive. I don't just start spouting off at someone until they start spouting off at me first. And that's so, true. you know what? If, if you're, if you're going to hate me, that's on you. But if you're going to hate me, I'm going to be the most hated guy in the business. Because like, I don't do anything half. I don't do anything 50%. If you want to hate me, then I'm going to make you loathe me. Last show, I wrapped a steel chair around this guy's neck and was trying to snap it in two before this idiot Cappuccino Jones came in for the save. Uh, so, yeah, if, if you want me to be the bad guy, I'm going to be the worst guy ever. Absolutely. It's like, and, we, and, and, and may I just say, we are like salt of the earth. I don't know where people get this term of bad guy or heel because we just go out there and we're going to get the victory, one, two, three, or the submission, tap out, whatever it takes because we have the intelligence – behind it to do what needs to be done so we don't get caught with it. Whereas the supposed good guy that everybody's supposed to like, they've got to get the fans behind. They want the people to like them. I don't care if you like me, love me, hate me, loathe me, want me, don't care about me. I don't care. 
I'm going to go out there, I'm going to win the championship, and with you by my side and me and your guys' group, man, I see us raging to the top of the mountain, holding all the gold while all the fans just look up at us, jealous, angry, bitter, because they didn't get to push themselves to their dreams while we are up on top of everything we want to be living ours. Tony Snow's our guest. Here we got about M Swap Karen eighty nine point one Kens FM, so we can do this here and don't forget here, Tony. Uh if our fans want to check you out and see you got a Facebook, an Instagram, YouTube, a Twitter, a Twitch, what do you got? Yeah, on, on let's see on Twitch, uh, DJ Tony Snow seven ten. You can check out my gaming on there. Um on Twitter it's real Tony Snow. On uh, Facebook and all that other stuff, it's Tony Snow. It's easy to find. And then the companies I'm working for presently that I'm pushing the hardest, WFC, Wrestling for a Cause. You can watch them on IWTV. Also, you can check out their YouTube channel as well as Texoma Pro Wrestling. Check out their YouTube channel. And you can see me make a total and complete embarrassment out of Josh Martin this coming week. And for those of you who listen to our show on a regular basis, if you go to our Facebook page, Attitude Era Live, Monday Live, Monday, like that. Uh, go to 89.1 Ken's FM page, like that. Do a $10 month donation, Power the Tower. We'll get you qualified to win the autographed picture from the past guest, current guest, or future guest. Uh, Tony, would you be willing to uh, send us a, uh, a autograph, a few autographs for our uh, listeners from uh, Snow, uh, Snow Enterprises? Oh, yeah, I'll be more than happy to. I'll, I'll autograph a couple of them uh, just normal, and I'll autograph a couple of them to some sweat hogs in case one of them gets their grimy hands on it. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, Tony, you are awesome. I appreciate it. And uh, we uh, will definitely have you on again because it sounds like uh, you and Granny have a history, and hopefully by the next time we have you on, uh, you'll have uh, Matthias wrestling in your faction. So if you want to come back on again at some point, we'd love to have you. I'd love to. Yeah, Granny Hoekster and I have a love-hate relationship. She loves to hate me for some reason. I'm the one that tolerates all of her abuse. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, Tony, thanks for being here with us, man. We love you, and have a good night. Thanks so much. Hey, the pleasure was all yours. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Tony Snow, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, that was uh, that was pretty awesome. Uh, now, Matthias, I think I may have got you another gig. Uh, I'd like to do that, you know. Well, here's the thing, you know, you may have, you brought him onto the show, and I did the talking for me. I did what it needed to be done, and this man, as I previously stated, is he has an intelligent mind for the business. He knows what he's talking about, and when he sees talent, he knows the right talent, and he's going to book the right talent to be in his faction, and as I said, I'm coming down there. And me and him, personally, are going to take care of Granny. Sylvester J. Fox and I, we'll have our moment with her. No worries. We're in North Dakota. That's fine. I'll come down to her neck of the woods first and take care of her there. And then I kind of, you want to so graciously fly her up here to North Dakota for below zero. Her, she could come to one of our shows, and me and Sly will take care of her personally ourselves. Well, I'll tell you what, we need to take a quick commercial break, then we'll go to our next guest. We'll be right back after these messages, so stick with us. We'll be back. 
As you know, 89.1 Ken's FM is funded through donations by our listeners and sponsorships from area businesses. If your business would like to sponsor Ken's FM and reach thousands of young adults and college students every day, contact us at 218-585-3067 or at info at kensfm.com. Any one of us can help you get your sponsorship started. We have many packages available to fit your budget. So contact us today at 218-585-3067 or at info at kensfm.com. And thanks for listening to 89.1 Ken's FM. And we are back here on 89.1 Ken's FM, and we have an interesting guest right now. Ladies and gentlemen, stepping out of the green room and walking down the aisle. She taught Mike Tyson how to throw a left and throw a right and an uppercut. Ladies and gentlemen, she's a doctor. She's an author. She is Rita Ali. Hi, this is Dr. Rita Ali. You're listening to the Attitude Era Monday Live 89.1 Ken's FM with your host, the icon, the big swing, the godmother of wrestling, Granny Huster, and the modern nightmare, Matthews. Remember, PG language. All right, awesome. Thank you, Rita. And uh, we have uh, Rita Ali as a guest here. We're on 89.1 Kids FM. we got 43 minutes. we got a lot of stuff to cover in a short amount of time. But first, with your last name, are you related to that boxer guy? No, I'm not related to Muhammad Ali, but he was a very close friend, and he actually morphed my career uh, into the boxing uh, um, the boxing promotional aspect, and I got to work with him and many other famous boxers, fighters, the champions. And if I'm not mistaken, I think you are related to a boxer, though, aren't you? Yes, Mike Tyson is my son-in-law. So I'm just kind of curious, what was it like having uh, Mike Tyson come up to you and say, can I marry your daughter? <laughs> actually, he asked my husband. <laughs> he didn't He didn't ask me. He actually asked my husband. Um, I actually met Mike through my husband. Um, Don King had contacted my husband and asked him to um, meet Mike. And um, my husband's a Muslim cleric. And um, so we went down to his uh, – he had a um, – Mike had a condo in Atlantic City at the time, and we went down. My husband and I went down, and my daughter was only like 13 at the time, and she called my husband on his cell phone, and he said, hey, somebody for you to talk to. He put Mike on the phone, and and Mike said, hi, this is Mike Tyson. And then Mike said, she keeps calling me Mr. Davis, doesn't believe it's me. So uh, she thought it was one of my business partners that always teased her a lot. So... um, Anyway, she didn't get to um, see Mike again until she was maybe, well, to actually meet Mike until she was about 19, and they were just, like, close friends, and then it just morphed into a relationship, and um, they're married now. They have two children together, Milan and Morocco, and um, so anyway, he didn't he didn't ask me, actually, but um, Mike's just such a, a, a great husband, father, and son-in-law. I mean, I just couldn't ask for a, a better addition to our family. Well, you know, I'll tell you, uh, I, I've been a fan of Mike for a very long time. As a matter of fact, you know, we talked about this off the air, that uh, when, I was a, when I was a kid, one of the first Nintendo games I saved up all my paper out money to buy was Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. And I, I still have that game, and I still love Mike. But we're actually here to talk about you, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll 
we'll, we can come back to Mike in a little bit. But uh, now you uh, are familiar with a a case, and we're going to talk about this. I'm going to ask you a few questions about it, then we'll come back to me and I'll ask you the tougher questions. But uh, United States of Appeals Court, Third Circuit, United States of America versus um, Rita Ali. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was a um, basically a um, a case where they claimed that I um, that I was a, a, a part of a ghost employee scam, and then they charged me with RICO, which meant it was a conspiracy to commit fraud on the uh, community Philadelphia Community College, which I ran a school, an Islamic uh, school, the Sister Clara Muhammad School in Philadelphia. I was approached by someone from the Philadelphia Community College to host some classes at the school. did was sign a rental agreement to host the classes. Later, and we had a lot of people sign up for the classes because at Juma, which is the Muslim service on Friday, we were one of the largest masjids on the East Coast, so we'd have over a 1,000 members that would come out every Friday. So we put out flyers for, and I didn't actually even personally put out the flyers. I allowed the administrators to put flyers out for the for the school, uh, for the community college program, and they offered classes that the Muslim community and the membership or the, the residents in that area were very anxious to take. For many of the people who attended the Philadelphia Masjid were immigrant Muslims, and so they offered Arabic as a second Arabic as a second language and English as a second language. Well, the Quran, the Holy Quran is in Arabic, so many of the non-Arabic-speaking people that attended our masjids were converts to the religion of Islam. So that was very interesting for them, so for people who didn't speak Arabic to learn it, and then vice versa for the people who did speak Arabic as their first language who were immigrants and wanted to um, learn English. That those classes were offers. Also, at that time, um, I kind of we discussed. Many people didn't have computers then, so we we had a computer lab in our school, and so computer classes were offered, and uh, basic education classes where people could get their GED. So, the woman who came to me asked me if we could, if my staff would, or if they could distribute uh, flyers, and I said yes. So that. Friday they did at the Juma, and then um, she came back to me early the next week and said, wow, we had so many people sign up for classes. We don't actually have enough people at staff, community college, to teach. Do you think some of your teachers would be interested in teaching classes? I said, well, I'll uh, uh, put you with the principal, and you guys can discuss it and whatever. I never signed um, any, any, anything other than a rental agreement. The offer was $450 per semester per classroom. And I, I want to emphasize that, per semester. And everyone who knows how college semesters run, it's a, basically you have a spring and a fall semester. They're basically about 16 weeks apiece. And then you have two summer sessions that are generally six weeks. So us being, our school being associated, not associated, but in the same building with the masjid, we're always open for prayer. So Muslims pray five times a day. So from Fajr, which is the first prayer, the morning prayer, to Isha, which is the, the last prayer, 
people are constantly coming in and out of the masjid, so that leaves the building open and made it where we could actually offer classes in the morning, the afternoon, the evenings, and on weekends. So that's another reason why those classes filled up like that, because it could accommodate a lot more people. All this time uh, we all these are, oh. Sorry, I read all these are guests here on 89.1 Kent FM, and uh, we have about... Uh, well, we have uh, we have a lot of time. We got thirty six minutes now. The book is called uh, Triple Jeopardy, and I like the little taglines: three strikes but not out. So it's kind of like uh, two strikes and several foul tips, I would guess, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. So anyway, to make a long story short, a lot of this is in the book, and it's it's kind of. Uh, long, so that's why I wrote the book, because I really got kind of tired of telling the people that I'm a convicted felon for something I didn't do, but, and of course everybody was interested, and they want to know how it happened, and so I just said, well, let me let me put it in a book, so that this way that people could read about it. So anyway, about a year or two into the program, um, one day I'm at home, and my doorbell rings, and it's a member of the media with a camera in my face saying, Rita Ali, why did you steal $6 million from the community college? I had no idea that we were under investigation or anything, and um, I just slammed the door. And later it comes out that um, I was charged, um, along with the woman who brought the program to the school. She was the first defendant. I was the second defendant. And then they charged my son and my daughter and her son. Her case was severed from mine. And um, she, from mine and the other defendants, and then um, I was found guilty. I mean, my my daughter, my son, and and her son, we all went to trial, and I just knew that, you know, nobody's going to find us guilty because we did the classes. The government's own witnesses who the government had sent um, undercover agents to our school to see whether or not classes existed, and in the open court, they admitted that our, our the activities were consistent with classes being taught there. So anyway, the judge was so disturbed by the way that the trial went. He actually said in open court, and this is, you can read it, anybody can read it. He said, when he charged the jurors, he said, the government did not, the case that the government, I'm paraphrasing, but very close to it, the case that the government presented in this court is not what these defendants were charged with. They were charged with a ghost employee scam. Now, either the classes existed or they didn't. The government's own witnesses admitted that the classes existed. It was not this woman, Dr. Ali. Well, I wasn't Dr. Ali then, but he said Rita Ali. It was not her responsibility to make sure that the teachers came, nor whether or not students attended the class. If students come to a class and the teacher doesn't show up in 15 minutes, and vice versa, if the instructor is in the classroom and the student doesn't show up in 15 minutes, they can leave the class and no one's charged with not teaching the class nor the student's charged with being absent from the class. He said everyone knows that that's an unwritten rule throughout colleges all out of, throughout America. He said, but if you concur with me, you have to acquit Rita Ali and these descendants. And they came back in like less than an hour and found me guilty of like 24 counts. I'm looking at like 55 years in prison, and I kind of smirked, Icon, because I'm like, you're not going to get that. I was already 57 years old, so no way you cut it, you're not getting 55 years old. So I kind of so, smirked. So it sounds like that. 
you know, and I'm not I'm not saying this to be funny, but uh, so if you were to get 57 years, technically that wouldn't be just a 57 year sentence. You being 57 years old, that'd be a life sentence, basically. Yeah, it was a li- Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, I kind of really you are convicted of a crime in our country, and as much as I love this country, and I and and, and we have the best criminal justice system in the world, but we don't always get it right. But once you're convicted and you have that title of a convicted felon, it is a life sentence. It's a social imposed life sentence where people can't get jobs. Even some people, when you're filling out an application for a rent, even though you otherwise qualify, you may have the funds to afford the rent of that property. People are shunned and they're not allowed to rent properties because they have a convicted felon record. And so at some point, people should be made whole. I mean, the whole purpose is the punishment is supposed to fit the crime. It's not supposed to be a life-imposed sentence and where you can't join certain organizations or whatever. You've paid your debt to society. Whether you're like I was and my children, innocent or not, we're still labeled convicted felons. Uh, Rita Ali is our guest here on 89.1 Kent FM. Uh, we're going to do a little roundtable here, Rita, because I know that uh, my co, uh, co-hosts co have some questions here. First, I'm going to introduce you to Granny Holster. Uh, Granny, uh, she wrote a book. It's called Triple Jeopardy, uh, Three Strikes But Not Out. What do you have for our guest, the lovely and talented and awesome Dr. Rita Ali? Go ahead, Granny. Well, <clears throat> welcome to our show. It's a pleasure and honor to have you on with us tonight. So what was your most challenging part of writing that book or was there or did you have a challenging moment at some point in time when you were writing that book? Well, Granny, you know, thanks so much for having me. Um, it's really a pleasure to uh, have this opportunity to speak with you. Um, yeah, the difficulty is that even every time you tell the story, you relive it. Um and especially, I think it's even worse for someone like me that was accused of something that you didn't do and then sentenced for it not once, not twice, but three times for the same mm. charges. So having to mm. even write that and just to, it's like you're regurgitating it. It's coming up again. It's like a spiritual and mental and physically exhausting um, experience and the weightiness of that constantly being on you, it's emotionally disturbing, uh, to say the yes, least. Yes, I, I can I can only I mean I can only imagine what you must have went through that in your life. I mean <clears throat> that had to have been really that had to have been horrible. Well, Granny, because, if I, you know, if I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just gonna say. You know, I, you know, I think everybody at some point in time in their lives have been falsely accused of something in their life, you know, and it just, it's just, it's got to be devastating to have to live that and have to, you know, have that, you know, situation in your life. I mean, it's, it's, it's got to be horrible. Yeah, um. It was a very horrific experience, and like I said, um, you you relive it over and over again. I still have nightmares today of being in prison, and unlike some people who do hard time, I can't say that I did hard time. I wasn't beat up. I I went to a federal um, facility that there were no armed guards. 
one guard, uh, one CO, a correction officer for 200 women. The women ran the whole prison. Um, the, it was dormitory, like um, no cells or anything like that. You could literally probably just walk off. You'd be a foolish fool to do so, but it was mostly uh, what they, they refer to as white-collar crime um, inmates there and um, people who had maybe had done non-white-collar crimes, but if you're in the federal system for a certain amount of time, the points go down, and then you become eligible for, um, like, low-level um, security level, and you're eligible to come to the camp. So by that, um, by, by that point, I can't say that I was tortured or beaten or anything like that, but it's still prison. It's still you're away from your loved ones. You're away from everything that you know. I was 57 years old. I didn't even get moving violations or traffic tickets. My husband and my son got plenty of traffic tickets, and I always took care of them, Granny, but I didn't get them. So, you know, I, I was a law-abiding citizen, 57 years old. I'm, I'm on cruise now. You know, I'm grandma. Like, there's, wow. that, that's the furthest thing from my mind is that I'm ever not. But to make it really worse is that when the judge refused to give me this hard prison time that the, the U.S. attorneys were asking for, the judge was really angry with me. He said he still believed that I was, me and those defendants were the same good people. He thought the same of us when we came in the courtroom, and he never brought it. He said for the first time, and he was 82 years old, and was John P. Fulham, he said for the first time in his history on the bench, he was tempted to overturn it but he just couldn't bring himself to do it because he's never overturned a jury decision and he had to respect so that, that the jury came to that conclusion, conclusion even though he disagreed with it. So he gave me a year house arrest and my son and my daughter six months house arrest. Wow. Well, that's the first time I'm sentenced. So um, we're almost done with house arrest and then the government files what they call a superseding indictment and they charged me, Granny, I can't, they charged me with the same charges again. But this time, mm. now, we're out of money, so I don't have the money. I'm never going to say I did something I didn't do because I really believe that there's a God, and I'm not going to say something. And I was pressured. i got to backtrack a little bit. I was pressured to uh, receive messages via my, my attorney that if I would cooperate with my with, with the U.S. attorney against my husband, the mayor, and um, the governor, and them for this pay-to-play scam that they accused, accused them of, if I would turn witness against them, that this whole thing could go away for me and my kids and I could have witness protection programs. So my thought is that go where and do what that God doesn't know that I'm lying on someone because I'm trying to keep myself from being out of trouble that I never did in the beginning. So... I couldn't do it, and I wouldn't do it. And so then that's when they brought my kids into it. So that's the first mm. indictment. And then, so now we're almost through it. My daughter's back to work in New York and living her life back back there. My son's back and, and still working. And then they do the superseding indictment, but now they take me before a different judge. So I'm not going to say that I did something I didn't do, but now what money we had, and we were well off. We were, we were doing very well. But when 
your your school closes and, 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 and your rental properties and different stuff like that. And you're losing up because you have no income coming in. So we're living off of our savings and it's down to dwindling. And now I can't afford a, a lawyer. So I'm just going to say no low contendery. That's what I've pled. So you know what that means. You're not saying you did it. You're not saying you, you didn't. And, of course, the judge is going to side with the U.S. attorney. So now I'm with the second judge, and I plead no low contendere. So, of course, he finds me guilty. Now we're, we're at the sentencing. And this judge says, I know what we're here today to do. I'm paraphrasing again, Granny. He says, I know what we're here today to do, and I know what the answer is going to be from the U.S. attorney. And I know what you want. He said, but I just for my own self, I have to ask, is it fundamentally fair to charge this woman again and sentence her again for the same charges? And they said, yes, it is. So he sentenced me. So this is the first time I actually go to prison. He sentenced me to 24 months at Danbury Federal Prison. I go there. uh, I get out in 14 months for good time and halfway house. I'm at the halfway house. So this is all going to go away now in my mind because it's it's done. They got their their pound of flesh from me. They put me in prison, and, okay, it's going to go away. It's early one morning. It's about a month away before I'm getting ready to leave the halfway house and be done with this. The counselor comes in, the case manager comes in and knocks on the bunk, the bed, and it's a metal bed, and she says, Miss um, Ali, are you okay? And I'm like, what? What happened? And she said, you haven't seen today's paper, have you? I'm like, no. Well, the Third Circuit overturned your sentence. Now, she's talking about the first sentence when the judge gave us a year and a day. or Not a year and a day, a year house arrest. The Third Circuit overturned it. You and your daughter have to go back and be resentenced. So that meant we had to go back to the first judge and be resentenced. We're cool with it because Judge Fulham never believed that we did that anyway. He never wanted to sentence us. But you got to remember, now I'm more than just a one-time felon. I'm a two-time felon because I've been convicted twice. So Judge Fulham didn't really have any alternative. He gives my daughter six months, and she's pregnant now with her and Mike's first child together online. Six Congratulations, Carolyn. She gives me a year and a day. And... um so that's triple jeopardy. And that judge even said for that, in my case, he, Judge Fulham said, this is, trip, this is double jeopardy. Well, he's talking about him having to sentence me two times, and he suggested that I appeal it. And so, anyway, the reason we didn't appeal, appeal it is because the lawyers that we had, and they were very good lawyers, the judge appointed them to us. Both of us met with our lawyers, and the lawyers said, listen, we, this is what we do. We do appeals, but it's going to go right back to the Third Circuit and the U.S. attorneys are going to appeal it again. Judge Fulham is like 85, 86 years old now. He won't be on the bench probably by the time this appeal goes through. And the Third Circuit is going to find a side with the government again. And the next time, you could be looking at many years in prison because you'll have a totally different judge. So if you want to gamble it, we'll, we'll do it. And I just said, no, let me just go and get it done and how we end up with triple jeopardy. Wow. Uh, Dr. Reed Ali is our guest here on 89.1 Kent FM. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I, I, love, your, I love your story. It, it's, 
it's a it's a powerful story and it's a heartbreaking story in the in the same time that the fact that you know and and we're going to go to Matthias here in just a second Matthias but you know in, in this you know you're not supposed to have double jeopardy you're not supposed to be charged for the same thing twice now you've been charged for the same thing three times so well. We'll come back to my question a little bit, but I want to introduce you to uh, Matthias. And Matthias, she had been listening when you did your introduction before, so I'm sure you have a couple questions that you want to go through. Well, actually, Granny did take my main question, and she kind of was going off on the story. She was talking about her story, so I was actually just kind of listening into the story and stuff like that. So I, I really didn't, couldn't really develop a question after that because I was so intrigued by the story. So if you've got any questions, go ahead and uh, label them off, and if I uh, come back to mine, I'll... Uh, I'll let you know here. All right. Well, you know, with all the, you know, with with the the first trial and the second trial, and now you're waiting for the third trial. Do you think they're what they're what they're trying to do is they're trying to go after you so many different times that you know that you run out of money, so you you cannot defend yourself. Do you think that's one of their motivations? Well, in this particular case, I think it was more driven by the personalities of the U.S. attorneys because you have to realize, too, that we we have a system that rewards U.S. attorneys or, di, 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 um, or um, rewards them for or DAs for um, the amount of people that they can convict. So that's how you get promotions. That's how you get um, a name for yourself. That's how you run for public office. That's how you get to be on TV. So people are actually rewarded for it. So it becomes a personal thing, and especially when you have the media involved. And every day for years, we were beaten down every day on every channel in Philadelphia on the local news. And my daughter um, had a, a friend over in, um, I think she was in someplace in Europe, and she even called because it was on one, one day. Um, it's on the news. Katie Couric is on talking about the terrible Muslims who stole all this money. So it's every day you're just you're beaten down, and it becomes the more media attention that they get, and it's not like you get, um, like uh, I, I wasn't a famous person, so it's not like you get people on both sides of the equation in the media talking how it could be the charges can be wrong or whatever, and then you get the other people saying that there was no debate on about it. It's just all of the negativity that was coming from the U.S. attorney. So basically now you've got a pool of people that are going to hear your case, but they already have found you guilty because you've been already found guilty in the media. So um, I think it's more personality-driven that you have aggressive prosecutors who – this is how they get their fame and they get their rocks off of power, that they have the power. And in, in, in some respects, they have too much power to just inflict beyond what should be punishment for the level of crime. They can just take out personal vendettas and, you know, because I think that that's what really drove this is that they hated the fact that the judge like, basically blasted them in open court. And so they took it out on us, and then I just believe that it was just convenient for them that we were Muslims, and it was after 9-11. So people were starting to question Muslims anyway, and they kept emphasizing that we were Muslims, and I became like the poster girl for Islam. And 
with people already having some issues with the 9-11 thing and many people buying into that, you know, Muslims didn't love our country like I do love our country. But I just think it was more personal driven um, by unscrupulous conduct on the part of these particular prosecutors. And I don't believe that all prosecutors are like that, but I believe the vast majority of them are driven by um, the power that they have over people. For example, you go into trial with your one lawyer and they're in there with three or four and they come in with boxes and boxes of stuff look like files that they never open, they never use, but just the optics of it. Um, and it doesn't matter how much money or resources you have. You don't have the resources that the, that the government has. You just don't. And, you know, when you decided to write the book, you didn't write the book for, you know, to get sympathy or to let people know, hey, they're doing this, help me out. You did it, you wrote the book basically to show people how wrong the situation is, right? Yeah, yeah, I kind of, I wrote the book because I wanted to tell the truth about what really happened. Um, the hardest thing for me was that my beautiful son and daughter who never committed any type of crime or just great kids, went to school, did everything right, um, that they were drugged into uh, a situation that they didn't deserve to be in. And so that's something that haunts me and bothers me forever, even though they don't blame me for, for it. They stuck with me. Um, but, yeah, so it's not a woe is me. It's really just the narrative to tell what actually happened um, because many of the people, just like we had the U.S. attorney and, and their group that really went against us, that courtroom was filled every day with our supporters. I mean, all out in the corridors and everything. So it was every day. And even the judge, the judge commented on it. He said, you just don't see this. He said, especially when you see people that actually stand before you and for sentencing, usually it's just them and their lawyer, maybe one family member. He said, but the, the support that this woman and these defendants had, it bespeaks their character. So, Again, I'm paraphrasing, but that's very close to it. And that was very impressive to the judge. And, and But also what they were trying to do was beat down our supporters and, and reduce the number of people who supported us, and they couldn't break that, the whole. I go back to Philadelphia now. I, I always have a suite, and literally, if I'm there for a week, literally 100, maybe more people come through, 10 people in the room, 30 people in the suite, it just – all day, every day that I'm there with my husband. And so that's something that they couldn't break. And that's what they were out to do because it's, they had the media with them and they still couldn't break that hole that my husband and I have in the, with Philadelphia, the people who love it. And it doesn't matter whether they're white, they're black, they're old, they're young. They just love us because we've done some very good things in that city. And if, yeah, I, I don't know if you, you can estimate this or not, but with all with all the the with all these with all the courtroom stuff going on, how many hours would you say you've spent on court in court over this since it first started? Hours in in, in the actual courtroom. Right, if you can guess. Okay, well, it was about the first trial was about a week. And then when I went back for the second one, remember I pled no low contendere, so there wasn't wasn't a trial. 
to to offer the plea. We were in there for maybe a couple of hours, and then um, when I went back for the sentencing, that was uh, more of a day. So, um, and then, okay, and then when I went back for Fulham, so that would be like a half a day. So I guess maybe, well, like maybe about close to 60 hours. And with with that being said, when when this is all finally said and done, it, we you know, I I I had a chance to take a glance at your book, and uh, I, I'm still reading. I do appreciate uh, you sending us. And uh, for those listeners that know, she's already had she's already done this. But uh, if you go to our Facebook page, as you there Monday Live Monday, you like that? Go to 89.1 Ken's FM page, like that. Do a ten dollar month donation to Power the Tower. We'll get you qualified to win a autograph picture. From past guests, current guests, or future guests, in this case, uh, from uh, uh, Dr. Ali here, uh, you have a chance to win her book. We have uh, we have some books for giveaways that uh, if you want to have a chance to win one of these great books and read all about the trials and tribulations, uh, no pun intended, uh, through the through Miss Ali here, uh, go ahead, uh, start liking and start donating. We'll, we'll get you qualified. Now, when you started, when you decided to write the book, and we kind of talked, touched on this a little bit, but writing the book, did you have a feeling that that might hurt your case? Because uh, you know they always talk about jury selection and you know fair trials and everything, but with the, you putting out the book, uh, potential jurors might have re- read that and they already might have formal opinions, so that would disqualify them. Did you have any worry about that? No, because I didn't write the book uh, until long after I was done um, with the. Uh, I, I think uh, the trial was in 2000. I I only wrote the book in uh, 2019, so I was done. I, I had been out of the uh, system for about 10 years. And there's no way that they uh, that this can ever come back again, right? It's completely done and over with. Well. There's no way you can convict somebody three times on the same charges. So I don't put anything past this government. Well, you know, and we and we, and we hope not. But when you when you decided to sit down and write the book, uh, how long did it take you to write the book? Well, I'm a writer. Um, I, I was a former uh, columnist. I wrote health and beauty tips, but that took me into writing um, a lot about I could write about fighters and athletics and beauty and all that. So I wrote a, a weekly column in the Philadelphia Tribune. Um, so I'm a writer, uh, definition. Um, so it didn't take me to actually write it, I would say, a few months because I just – I've always written without – I outline um, if, it's, if if I know the story, if I know the content. So it was it was easy for me to write it because I just did it in the sequence that I wanted it to happen. And, I, and I've never had writer's block. I just would have to stop because I I had stuff to do. I might have been traveling with Mike and Kiki or doing different things like that. And um, so it, it wasn't difficult for me to write it. And so I, I would say I wrote it in a couple of months. Uh, we do have a few few fan questions. We got uh, Rita Ali's our guest here. We got about uh, nine minutes here left with Rita. We have a couple fan questions. One uh, uh, one question is uh, they were wondering if you could uh, tell us a little bit about the relationship that you did have with uh, Muhammad Ali. Oh, that was my good friend, my buddy. Um, I met Ali um, in Philadelphia 
at the art museum. He was there doing a banquet, I mean, a benefit for someone. And um, Ollie was a big flirt. Um, I was about, I guess, 27 years old, and, and I guess he found me attractive. So he just kept I can see staring that. at me. <laughs> well, thank you. But I, he just kept staring at me, and um, I always wanted to meet him because, as I said in the book, early on in the book, I was about 13 years old, and I was reading a book while my father was sitting watching TV, and I heard this rhythmic voice with this rhythm and this southern kind of draw, just talking, trash talking, and it, it distracted me from my book. And for some reason, I just turned to my father. I had like an epiphany. I was like 13 years old. And I said, Daddy, I'm going to know him. My father was so pissed. He's like, what are you talking about? What, you got some schoolgirl crush on this guy? What are you talking about? Because my father, you didn't talk to guy. They weren't allowed to talk to us or anything, especially at that age. So I'm like, no, no. I found that disgusting that he even thought I had a crush on him, but it was just something about it. So later, I meet him like 20-some years later. And um, so he doesn't take his eyes off of me, and he just – but I'm uncomfortable I'm, I'm because that's not how I want a meeting. I don't want him thinking that I'm somebody that is interested in playing around. Plus, I was married. So anyway, um, a friend of mine, he was traveling with them, and I knew them very well. They were members of the Muslim community. Um, and she came up to me. I was getting ready to leave, and she says, oh, you're getting ready to leave? And I said, yeah, my car's at City Hall. She said she'll give me a ride. Well, I didn't put it together that the ride was her and her husband with Muhammad Ali. Anyway, so I get to meet Ali, and, and Ali, of course, he starts trying to flirt with me, and we, we verbally spar back and forth. So I, I've got a, like a, a, a flip answer for every time he tries to throw a hit at me. <laughs> <laughs> then finally he takes and slaps his hand on my knee and says, uh, and, I, and I take and push his hand off my knee, and he says to Andy, he says, oh, I see what it is. She's 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 smart, ain't she? She she real yeah, she she's real smart. So Andrea says to him, she says, Oh yeah, she is. She's got her own radio show and starts like talking a little bit about me. He said, Oh, I see what it is. I see now. You're just too smart for me and I said, No, it's not that I'm that smart. It's that I'm not dumb enough to fall for your shit. Well, I'm sorry. Oh language, I'm sorry. Anyway, he falls back in the bushes. We're outside the art museum. I like this girl. I like her. And from that, it just morphed into every time he would see me, he would act like he was asking me, oh, I love her. I got to have her, this and that and the other. And so, um, but what he really wanted to do for me is what he's done for so many other people. He really wanted to acknowledge me as a professional person or a person of substance because he knew I cared about people. And um, I did the, I wanted to do uh, a tribute to him, so I brought him in the city hall and um, did the Muhammad Ali Day throughout the Pennsylvania Commonwealth, and I commissioned a, a, a sculptured bust of him, which people can see. It's at the African American Culture Museum. Um, it, it's still there until today, and um, we just continue to have a great friendship. He always acts like he was crazy about me, but what he really was, he just likes to tease. Ali just loved people, period. Um, he would make over kids. He would make over women. I don't care if they were old. People say, oh, he just likes tall, light, beautiful women. That's not true. I've seen him hug some bears and some not very attractive women and rock them and just tell them how beautiful they are and old women. And he just had that charisma that made everybody he came in touch with feel as though they were the most important person to him in life. 
And from that, I met uh, and started working with many other fighters, um, Michael Spinks, uh, working on fights, uh, doing PR for different fights. Um, and, and lots of fights was able to cover them, too, for, for the Philadelphia Tribune and for my radio station and book them on the uh, show that I produced, the radio show that I produced. It's probably a good thing that you didn't tell him that uh, you were a fan of Joe Frazier. <laughs> <laughs> no, he actually knew that I liked Joe, and Joe Joe knew that I, I liked Ali, too. Joe would always tease me and say, oh, you just like Ali with the y'all's Arabs. I said, first of all, it's Arab, Joe, and we're not Arab, we're Muslims. And um, so Joe would always tease me, yeah, yeah, you just you, you, you like him more than you like me. I'm like, no, I love both of you. You're both my brothers. Because Joe would stop by my salon every day, well, not every day, but very often because my salon was en route to his house in White Marsh, and he would just fling the door open, hey, they're trying to get me, ladies, they're trying to get me, and the women would like, oh, my God, Joe Fraser, like, like, whatever, and, like, I'm like, Joe, no one's trying to get you to stop it. That was just his saying, just a big old country guy, just loved humanity like him and ollie they're both capricorns all three of us are capricorns and they share so much in terms of their love for humanity joe was as sweet as he could be ollie was as sweet as he could be now both of them were totally different than that in the ring but they were both my good friends joe would do anything for me as a matter of fact i got him to attend a muslim bazaar and he's like i don't want to go down there them people don't like me they just they may rap they don't like me i'm like joe stop it you're going to come and he had a ball he had a ball. So they were both well, Both did a lot. Well, it's Muhammad Ali would say, Joe Frazier, everybody's talking about Joe Frazier. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Frazier. Uh, well, Rita Ali's our guest here. we got about uh, three minutes here. Uh, so we can do this here. If our fans wanted to uh, check out and find a book, where can they get it? And uh, how about you? Do you got a Facebook, an Instagram, YouTube, a Twitter, a Twitch, a TikTok? What do you got? Oh, I'm on Facebook. Um, but the book is easier to get just on Amazon. If you go to Amazon, even if you just type in Triple Jeopardy, Three Strikes But Not Out. And you have to make sure you Three Strikes But Not Out because there are a lot of Triple Jeopardies, but there's only one Three Strikes But Not Out by Dr. Rita Ali. And um, if you just type it in, you just Google it, it'll come up several places. Where you can. It's also in audio. All right. Did you did you read the audio audio book? Did you read the audio book? No, I didn't. I just I I I just didn't. I'm thinking about redoing it, but I had a very good person do the audio. But I'm thinking about redoing it. So many people are saying I I should redo it in in my own voice. So I'm I'm considering that. You know, be you know, be another cool uh, idea for you to uh, try to do later on. Uh, you know, your book is called Triple Jeopardy. Maybe you can get on uh, Celebrity Jeopardy. That would be really cool. And they could ask a question about you. Oh, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if anybody considers me a celebrity, but um, that would be that would be awesome. Well, you're, well I'll tell awesome. you what, you're on Attitude, you're on Attitude Air Live. You are a celebrity now. Oh, thank you. But you know what's awesome is you guys having me and um, having me on. This has been it's it's been emotionally moving. I mean, just uh, to have people who care about my journey and to um, be on with your audience, I, I really appreciate it. I really do. Well, we, Rita, we would definitely love to have you on again. we got about uh, 30 seconds left here with you. We do appreciate you taking time out of your schedule, and uh, I know this will probably be as far a stretch, but our, our fans are waiting for me to ask that. 
if you could ever get me hooked up and have uh, Mike Tyson even call in and uh, tell him that he wants to beat me up, uh, if you could make that happen, <laughs> I would be for. Well, I'm already forever in your debt, but if you'd be one, if you could hook that up, I would appreciate that. I'd even, uh, uh, I'd even make, uh, I'd even buy a hundred books just to have that happen. Okay, well, I'll see if I can get that done. All right, I appreciate it, Rita. Thank you so much. You were awesome. Thank you for being with us, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. All right, Rita Ali, uh, Rita Ali, ladies and gentlemen, was that was that awesome or what, guys? Huh? Tell me about tell me about that. Yeah, that was good. Uh, I don't know the great was, There you go. Hey, now awesome. let me ask you this. Now I, we we got about uh, we got about four minutes here before our theme song hits, but let me ask you this, guys. You know, I'm probably thinking put, uh, I'm probably putting myself over on this, but tell me something. Did you ever think? That when you join the show with Ias or Granny, that you guys would actually be talking to uh, guests like this? No. No, I don't. I never. I never. Uh, I could never really guess what kind of guests we'd have on this show. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, Matthias. I'm going to tell you this. I, it's it's kind of a surprise. I'm kind of working on it, but uh, you you know Kane Hodder. I'm sure you know who that is, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Now let me ask you this. When is your birthday? Uh, June, June 8th. June 8th. Uh, do we have a show close to that day? Uh, I'd have to, I can't, I'd, let me look at the... Uh, we have a show on June 5th, and you're, uh, okay. Now, here's one thing I'm working on. Uh, we have a, uh, in October, I know it's a ways away, but I'm going to try and get him on earlier, but we have a gentleman that's an author of the Kane Hodder biography. And he's going to be on with us, and he's going to try and get Kane to call in and talk to you. Okay, cool. Now, I know that you would not miss that episode. No, definitely not. And, uh, you know, Granny, uh, we'd also, uh, you know, we'd also talk about wrestling without a cause here. And, uh, you know, we're trying to nail down uh, uh, the uh, the master of uh, wrestling without a cause. So we're going to try and get him on as well. So... Uh, awesome. Like I said, we got, yeah, we got about uh, we got about uh, two minutes here before we uh, have to go. But uh, I also got you know I usually don't like to brag or uh, announce what guests that we're going to have on because this card is always start to change like a wrestling match. But uh, if I tell you guys the name, uh, if I mention the name to you guys, George McFly, who do you think of? Right now, it's it's not ringing a bell. Right now, my brain has been kind of scattered well, back tonight. Well, to back to the future. Yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. Well, Marty, of course. I didn't know if we were going anywhere past yes, that. Exactly. Now, uh, did you guys know there was actually two George McFlys? No. Uh, one was uh, in the in part one was played by Crispin Glover, and part two and three was played by Jeffrey Wiseman, and uh, we are going to have. George McFly is a guest on our show in two weeks here. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Uh, he, uh, he, he replaced Crispin Glover in part two and three, and he's going to tell us all about being on Back to the Future uh, when people actually thought that he was actually Crispin Glover, but actually it was Jeffrey Wiseman. So we're going to be talking a little Back to the Future in two weeks. So he's, he already is confirmed. He sent us some good stuff for giveaways. And... Uh, there's one thing that he sent me, and I'm, uh, you guys probably think I'm bragging here. Uh, he sent me an autographed uh, Pizza Hut uh, 
uh, thing from the movie, an actual prop from the movie. You know that they put in the microwave and hydrates the pizza? He sent me that wrapper mm-hmm. uh, from my collection. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that. But in the meantime, uh, we got to get going here. Uh, remember, it's not goodbye. It's just good night. We'll see you all next week. Until then, love each other, be safe, care for each other, and join us again next week. And we are going to be here. Check us out then. Don't dare miss it. You think you know me. Head. I am Rose Cora Perry of The Truth Untold, and you're listening to 89.1 Ken's FM, your home for the local music and the hottest modern rock on the planet. Callers, what's going on? Is there anybody there? Is there anybody there? Hello. Uh, uh, I think there's. I think they're still on here. Uh, yeah, I'm waiting to. I'm waiting to call in here. Uh, I don't know if there's anybody else waiting to call in, but we'll see, I guess. Um, we'll see if there's anybody else waiting to call in. Hopefully, I, I've been on hold for several minutes here, uh, waiting for them to pick up the phone and talk to me. I, I have a question for one of their guests. Then. So I guess we'll see what happens, I guess. It is what it is, ladies and gentlemen.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.